Hey friends, welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Each episode, I sit down with a guest to discuss their life journey and how the grace of God has impacted them along the way. After listening to today's episode, I hope you are encouraged that God can use you right now in the midst of your day-to-day life. Yes, it requires daily surrender and trust, but we must remember His grace is enough. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 10a. The next two weeks, we will talk about what it looks like to practice intentional, planned rest. My family began practicing intentional rest in January. Next week, during episode 69, Sam and I will be sharing what we have learned, how we planned what we do, plus the challenges we have faced. If you or someone you know is curious about how Christians practice Sabbath and why, will you share this episode with Dr. Matthew Sleeth with them via social media, text message, or email? Also, plan to come back next week for episode 68 with Pastor Doug Gamble and episode 69 with me and my husband Sam. Dr. Matthew Sleeth, the author of 24-6, Serve God, Save the Planet, and Reforesting Faith is on the show today. Dr. Sleeth takes us back to his days as an ER physician and shares how he came to know Jesus in addition to his family's practice of Sabbath. Matthew's story is incredible. There is no way to mistake God's grace in his life or in the lives of his family. Listen to what Matthew shares about Sabbath keeping. Sabbath keeping is not a condition of getting into heaven. It is not a fundamental for salvation. So uh, Sabbath keeping is not a condition of getting into heaven. It's just a condition that heaven is in if you get there. (laughs) Friends, did you catch that? You are going to love this conversation because there are nuggets of truth throughout. And honestly, I can't wait to hear what you think. I'm going to welcome Dr. Matthew Sleeth to the show. Thank you so much for being here today. It's a pleasure uh, to be with you and your listeners, Amber. Thank you. Well, you go ahead. I said who you were, but tell us a little bit about your family and a little bit about what you do. Well, I'm married uh, to Nancy, and we've been married about 40 years, just coming up on 40. That's so awesome. Uh, And I have two children, and both of my children are married. Uh, my oldest, uh, my son Clark, is uh, married to Val, and they have two children. So I have two grandchildren, uh, Hannah, who is three, and Luke, who is nine months old. And they are missionaries, and they've been in Africa for about three years, and wow. they just came back on furlough about six weeks ago, and now we can't see our grandchildren. <laughs> anymore because uh they are um they're here on a six-month furlough and um my son has a tremendous expertise in running multiple people on uh, ventilators and that sort of thing from his hospital where he works in kenya and so he's at the university hospital here kind of on the front lines and my daughter-in-law is a physician's assistant. She's also working at the university hospital here. So we've been separated from our grandkids. Uh, and I know that's trivial compared to what a lot of people are going through now. And uh, and then I have a daughter, um, and she's married, uh, Emma. She's married to Zach, and Zach is a pastor. Awesome. Now, do they live in the same area as you? 
Uh, they live in Kentucky also, but almost in Tennessee, and they're moving back to uh, Lexington in a couple of months. So oh they'll goodness. be real close by soon. I bet you're ecstatic about that. I am. That's We're a very close family, and ideally we'd love to live uh, you know, in the same block or whatever, oh, yes. but my kids, uh, at least the... Uh, probably going to be missionaries, you know, the rest of their lives. So it'll be uh, sometimes close and sometimes far away. That's right. Well, and I can't help but ask with your daughter, I mean, with your son and daughter-in-law who are working, what, I mean, are their kids going to childcare every day? How is that working? Well, they uh, work different shifts and they're not working uh, full time. And then the all the medical students uh, have been let off from school, and a number of them volunteered to take care of the children of the docs who are on the front line. I just it's love just hearing a, stuff like that. Yeah, it's a lovely gift. But before that, if they were both at work, then the grandchildren were with us because we lived just a few blocks away. Oh, yeah. Now you can't. Ugh, that is hard because, you know, six months really isn't that long of a time when you put it in perspective of they live overseas, you know, the majority of their life and you only get six months with them every few years. Yeah. And my wife was just, you know, ready to pop, you know, right before they came home. But, you know, it's uh, we believe Mm -hmm. uh, in the long haul. And um, we believe we're going to get to see these grandkids uh, for eternity. That's our prayer. So, Yeah, that's awesome. Well, and that brings up what we're going to chat about today. Just so that everyone knows, take us back to when you were an ER physician and share what happened that led you to a career and really an overall life change. Well, to back up just uh, for a moment before that, my wife and I are from two different religious backgrounds. Uh, my wife grew up as a, in a conservative Jewish uh, setting, and um, I went to church as a kid and then not, you know, past, uh, you know, the tween years or whatever. And so when we met, uh, her parents were just horrified that we were going to get married, and we we did. did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> much to their uh, dismay, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is actually how I chose medicine because if you want to get on the good side of your Jewish in laws, um, and the only thing that I know of to do is go to med school. So <laughs> I went to medical school and we didn't uh, have any real belief system. We'd celebrate every holiday we could, but you know, we didn't believe in God or anything. And actually, some of you know what happened with us getting married kind of left a bad taste in our mouth about organized religion. Mm. So I went to med school, and uh, we had our two children, and we moved, and we were raising our kids on the coast of Maine. We went through a series of really bad things happening in life, actually, uh, which began with my um, wife's only brother drowning in front mm. of my kids. Oh, and just, I had a patient stalk me uh, for quite a while and things kind of the culminated uh, in, in what I remember was 9-11 happening. Mm. And uh, I got home on that, uh, it was a Thursday, I believe, mm. um, Thursday from working at night in the ER 
and uh, Nancy came into the house. I was kind of dozing, and she said something, you know, terrible is happening in Manhattan, and and we tuned in, and and the twin towers um, came down, and I got a call from my neighbor. Uh, who had a son my son's age had kind of grown up together uh, saying, I, I need you to uh, help me get him from school. His dad was in the first plane <sighs> and to tell him that. So what happened was I woke up to the fact that there was evil on the planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a lot of bad things had happened. And my worldview up until that time was secular, humanist, scientific. If you couldn't measure it, if you couldn't reproduce it, I really didn't want to talk to you about it. Right. But evil is a spiritual concept. Mm-hmm. You can't measure it. Goodness knows you don't want to try to reproduce it. But if anybody's seen evil, um, they know what it is. Uh, you can't explain it away. That's right. And so I thought, well, if there's this evil force loose on the world, what's the other side? Mm-hmm. Where, where? You know, where does um, something good come from? And I had seen good because being involved in medicine, I think, is uh, fundamentally good. Mm-hmm. I think it's 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 a wonderful career. I love taking care of sick people. And, and I worked in the emergency department my entire career in medicine. And sometimes I'd kind of step back and we could be having a trauma code or something on somebody that we didn't even know who it was, you know, a Jane or a John Doe. You don't go out jogging with your purse uh, necessarily, you know, and people get injured. They come into the emergency department. You don't know who they are necessarily. And I'd look and and there'd just be, you know, a dozen people throwing everything they had at trying to help. And I said, this is good. Mm-hmm. Something here is fundamentally good. So I went looking for, you know, where where's the source of that good? And I read through a number of the world's sacred texts. I read the Ramayana, the Bhagavad Gita, the Quran. And my kind of quest, if you will, culminated by picking up a Bible one day. I never read it. We didn't own one. And uh, I actually took the Bible I picked up. It was in a waiting room. I didn't realize that the Gideons set these things as traps. Um <laughs> And I picked it up and, you know, I said, I'd never, I've never read this thing and, and I'm going to read it. And, you know, the Bible is a collection of books. It's most of them are thousands of pages long. Where do you start? Yeah. Uh, and this is something called Provenient Grace. My parents named me Matthew. Uh, and that's where I started. If they had named me numbers, we wouldn't be talking. <laughs> <laughs> and said every the, Christian ever. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and so in the book of Matthew, I met I met the Lord, I met mm. Christ, and it just hit me like a peen hammer in the forehead wow. that this person was real and different than anybody else that had ever walked the planet. It, he, he's so amazingly human. And then at the same time, amazingly inhuman. Um, And that's how I met the Lord was uh, in the Bible. Wow. So tell me before we go on, this happened for you. If you can recall, what were the ages of your children? And I mean, did you all just start going to church after that? And then your wife quickly followed? I know that's a whole other conversation, but now I'm curious. Yeah, uh, I think my son was about... 13 and my daughter's two years younger than he is. Okay. So 
And no, it was not an easy time. Um, at that point, I was a chief of staff and director of the emergency department, and my family thought I thought I was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have a single Christian friend. Uh, I didn't know anybody uh, who was a Christian. And uh, we we live right on the coast of Maine. It's a very unchurched area mm-hmm. of the country. And it's the most unchurched area of the country. Um, really? As a matter of fact. Yeah, Portland, Maine makes Portland, Oregon look like the Bible Belt. Really? Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. So they, you know, didn't like, you know, in many ways what they were saying or whatever. But we've been going through a lot of hard times and uh, and as a family and we're kind of grabbing at straws and things. And I know that my wife could see that I'd gotten a hold of something, you know, different. And um, I just very much felt this urge, a calling from the Lord to leave where we were. It didn't matter where I went, just leave. Mm. And and so I quit my job. Like <laughs> and, just immediately went in and said, here's my month's notice? Or... No, it took, it took a little while. Um, yeah, because I'm like, you're uh, not just going in to... Um... Resign as an attendant somewhere. Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. you're chief of staff. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it it took a while, but um, and we moved and we kind of really downsized our life. Hmm. And in that process, I gave that Bible to my son, and somehow I'd found out about the book Mere Christianity. We didn't own it. I sent him to the library to get it, and. Um, he read uh, the Bible. He read Mere Christianity, and he. Be- and he became a Christian. Very shortly after that, he had a vision of uh, himself walking uh, with a medical bag, with my medical bag, and children around him that were African children. Matthew, and it's, it's this is really, incredible. Yeah, amazing. And I, you know, the one of the one of the books I wrote, I I put a dedication, and and I realized that was oh, it was. A de- way be- a decade before he'd even, you know, uh, gotten into, co- you know, he'd just gotten into college or something. And in, in other words, it's just wonderful to see the Lord be faithful over time, Absolutely. periods of the time. My my wife um, started, uh, you know, kind of humoring me, and we started reading the Bible together. Then she had an experience where she was walking down a mountain, and she said she felt the Lord uh, next to her, and uh, she has. Never doubted for a, a moment since then. Wow. My daughter was last. Um, and so uh, it took us a while to all get on the same page. And one of the things that helped me with that was Sabbath, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, Sabbath was familiar territory for my wife. And so to say, you know, we're going to we're gonna have a day that's set aside, that's maybe going to be a little different than everybody else, that was not different for her. That was a concept that she could, as a Jew, could... You know, they own that real estate first. That's right. That's right. Well, and so you leave chief of staff, you completely downsize. But at this time, no, like, I mean, I'm all getting off track because I'm kind of like, how did you get them to get on board to actually do that? Because I'm thinking of teenage kids being just really upset with dad. (laughs) Yeah, it would be... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I, uh, you know, I used to get these questions constantly, you know, you know, well, how did, how did you get your kids to go along with this? And I used to jokingly answer, well, we're, we're evangelical Christians. We just beat them if they give us any trouble now. <laughs> um, but, 
but they weren't. Uh, Neither was your wife. <laughs> but I think that's part of the reason that the Lord was telling me to go, to leave, mm. to get to an unfamiliar place so that we would lean uh, mm-hmm. on the Lord as yeah. a as a family, and we would lean in that direction. You know, if, if our lives are set and we've got all the knobs tuned where we want, it's kind of hard for the Lord to break into that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably more in the times of chaos <laughs> that yeah. uh, when, we, when, when we lean on the Lord um, that we find out that He's there. Yeah. And to me, uh, Sabbath is, is a real act of trust to begin with, that that in six days, days it's going to be okay, um, and that, and that in doing this extravagant, if you will, throwing one day out of the week away, um, is actually going to be a, a matter of redemption, mm-hmm. um, which it is for us. And by the way, I should tell people that my theology, and I, I know that not everyone shares this, but my theology is that Sabbath keeping is not a condition of getting into heaven. It is not a fundamental for salvation. So uh, Sabbath keeping is not a condition of getting into heaven. It's just a condition that heaven is in if you get there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So um, it's just like you can go through this lifetime and and never eat ice cream and get to the other end. But, oh, my goodness, have you missed something? (laughs) (laughs) If my husband right now were on this call, he would be like, yes, yes, that's so true. The love of ice cream. Well, what did you discover when you were reading God's Word about Sabbath? I mean, I feel like as Christians, we know some of the, you know, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. But what was it about what you read that made you think, I need to put this into my life? Well, it's interesting that... In the Old Testament, you know, it's just such a fundamental. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's it's the first law that God makes that He applies to Himself, mm-hmm. um, and and so, you know, God rests and God is holy. Therefore, rest is holy. In the entire book of Genesis, the word holy is only used in application to the Sabbath, and. In one of the first patterns I noticed in reading the Bible was the analogs that you always have from Old to New Testament, back and forth. And so here you have this thing that's holy, and it's rest, and and here you have Christ showing up and saying, I'm holy, and I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, and I'm here to, you know, give you rest for, for your souls. And so I think for us Christians, it's how do we... How do we take the intent behind this Old Testament law and turn it into a Christian blessing? Mm. It's interesting that we live on this side of the veil. Um, the The work has been done for our salvation. There's nothing we can do to add to that or subtract or, or anything like that. And so we don't have to keep any of the 613 Old Testament laws <laughs> But every time the church has looked at this, um, the church has come down on, you know, we will keep this law. And it, it did that when it split into Eastern and Western church and during the Reformation, uh, you know, it was very much re-examined. And one of the main reasons uh, for keeping this, if you will, Old Testament law um, is that society becomes unbearable without it. Mm. 
And, uh, you know, it's it's interesting that as you and I are talking, the the earth is being given a Sabbath, whether it wants it or not. <laughs> and Absolutely. I, I couldn't, you know, couldn't help thinking about the Israelites being exiled to, to Babylon because of the Sabbaths they broke and didn't keep. Yeah. Uh, and, and my mind goes to Psalm 4610, be still and know mm-hmm. that I am God. I will be heard. <laughs> You know, uh, so right now, uh, many people are experiencing either something that's hellish or something that's Sabbath. And a lot of it is how they view it. Oh, it's so true, because if you've and I'm sure you probably have being I mean, just what we're talking about right now and how some of the statistics that are coming out about people being able you know, in China and big cities to see the stars for the first time in their city and that's only one of the statistics. You know, the fact that I can go days without hearing an airplane uh, is just, it's, people should revel in this to the mm-hmm. extent that they can. I know that people are hurting and there's people who are suffering and my kids are on the front line in a hospital um, right, right now working. But for those of us who can to, to really try to see the beauty in this, to, that God has told us to be still. And, and this, this can be a really precious time and a, a time to practice Sabbath, I think. Absolutely. I agree. It's been actually a, a bit of a gift to my soul in a lot of ways because there's no expectations on me besides to just be. Yes. And and yet I still think that people should have one day they set aside, even in this time, that's that's unique and different. That one day that the kids don't have to make the bed or, you know, that, that sort of thing, where we are just human beings, not human doings. That's right. Well, and that brings me to when you began to implement Sabbath, and I want people to understand here that it, you know, when we're talking Sabbath, we're not just talking um only, you know, maybe someone goes to church and then that's what they would refer to as Sabbath. Like you truly implemented a 24-hour period where it was just complete rest. And so what were the first steps that you took as a family to really just get that rolling to make that consistent in your lives? The most important thing is preparation. If you are um, you know, the, the house isn't clean, uh, the shopping isn't done, the clothes aren't washed, um, all those things, um, then you're going to feel the bug to do those. And and so I think, you know, just Sabbath is about getting prepared, getting getting ready. And for children, it's incredibly important because they've got to learn how to do, to do homework and get it done earlier than everybody else. And my kids really held to that. Uh, They went to a very rigorous um, high school. And I I remember, you know, teachers saying there's no way they're going to be able to make it unless they they study on Sundays. And they didn't. And my son was Victorian, and my daughter didn't graduate from high school. She got into college early. And they both maintained Sabbath uh, while they were in college, and my son in 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 med school, um, he graduated first in his med school class too. Oh, awesome. So, and they're bright kids. They got a Jewish mom. You know, they they got a lot of stuff going for them. But what they but there's lots of kids <laughs> who are bright and have moms Absolutely. that help. 
um, what they had was something almost unique and, and that they had one day a week in which they just cooled their jets and, um, they, they both focused on the Lord in that time, but, you know, walks and spouses and relationships have been really important for them too. And so, uh, I don't know how I got down that bunny trail, but preparation, oh, preparation is yeah. important and it's, it's really can do a lot of the heavy lifting of parenting. Susanna, Susanna Wesley, the mother of Charles and John Wesley and about 50 other kids, <laughs> I forget <laughs> the exact number, but it was quite a few, was asked, how is it that you raise such great kids? And all of our kids were great. It wasn't just John and Charles. Mm. And she wrote a letter, and it's very easy to find online. But the very first principle she taught them before they could, quote, walk or well go, in other words, they were still crawling, mm. <laughs> was the Sabbath, that one day a week was different than all the others. We started implementing Sabbath at our house in January, and... The first big shift we saw was we kick off our Sabbath with a Shabbat meal on Friday night. And um, the kids just really look forward to that time. It really does give them something to look forward to at the end of the week. And then, you know, we Sabbath from that point. We have not made it all the way to 24 hours yet, but we go through noon on Saturday. And I'm just asking to see, you know, kind of how it looked in your family early on, because for us, it has taken some time to just look at the kids and keep trying to help them understand, like, when do you feel like you're really resting, you know, and helping them identify what rest truly is. And being intentional um, is something that Jeremy Pryor said to me that I thought that's right, because it's real easy to feel like you're like bored and frustrated, but instead I just started thinking, what really helps me rest? A good book, a nap, um, walking outside. And so you have to kind of be intentional with what you put in place, like you said, prepare. And so did you all have any certain types of things that you did during Sabbath just to, you know, almost avoid the temptation to work? We are big readers, and I think reading is uh, such an important thing to encourage uh, for children. It's We are people of the Word. Our, our cousins before us, the Jews, have been illiterate people, mm. you know, and uh, the Word became flesh. And so I, I – and this was really underscored in the Protestant Reformation, but I think it's for all Christians, Catholics, Protestants, um, that we should encourage uh, reading so that reading God's Word is not such an onerous task. Mm. And so we uh, probably would do more th to indulge our children's reading than anything else. Yeah. Um, making sure that they have books that are good, you know, when we were the choosing. And uh, it's really nice to have books that you read as a family. Yes. Um, you know, those those kind of books that are uplifting and wholesome for everyone. You know, the Narnia series comes to mind, but uh, the book Freckles, um, oh, The Girl yeah. of the Limberlust, um, 
at the back of the North Wind by uh, George D. MacDonald. You know, there's there's modern you know books like that, The Secret Keepers and the Benedict Society, and you know books that are uplifting that everybody in the family can uh, have. And, and so until kids are you know all reading on their own, I think it's really nice to have a book that's read aloud yes. on that day that everybody wants to get to. And uh, so that's one thing I would do. Uh, I think that it's really nice to have uh, routines. And again, moms of kids have really, really underlined this one for me. Uh, there's a food, you know, that they have just on the Sabbath, you know, whether that's blueberry pancakes or cereal with ice cream, and it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> uh, just that that's the only day of the week that you have it those kinds of things. And, you know, it, the, for each family to make up their own routines, one of the most lovely ones I've ever heard uh, was I was preaching somewhere in a church and people came forward and they said, you know, we, we were raised with Sabbath and we're just doing what my grandparents did. And, and on every Sunday, our whole family takes a ride on horses, has a picnic together after church. That's so cool. And we go horseback riding, you know, things like that. Yeah. I mean, I would say like, when I talk about Sabbath now, the most common thing that I hear about intentional Sabbath is, you know, I don't have time to get everything done. So, you know, I use the weekends because I work or there's just a whole host of things. And honestly, that's the train of thought that I had for years. Um, but in your book, 24-6, you write, rest shows us who God is. He has restraint. Restraint is refraining from doing everything that one has the power to do. We must never mistake God's restraint for weakness. The opposite is true. God shows restraint, therefore restraint is holy. What have you found to be true personally as you have committed to this practice of Sabbath? I found that it has really become a cornerstone of emotional and spiritual wellness for me. I've had a couple of times where I've gotten bumped away from it or it, they haven't lasted very long and immediately I know something's wrong. Uh. And it's hard for us to recognize what's missing in life. And and even as we were speaking earlier about, um, you know, the, the sound of planes are missing, the sounds of, you know, cars and traffic. Mm -hmm. I live in, in Lexington in a fairly large city. And to hear the quiet, that quiet, when it's permanently missing from your life, uh, when you don't have a Sabbath, you may not be able to articulate it. But I think that society is paying for its lack of Sabbath now. Mm that um, it's it's interesting that the uh, book I'm working on now is about suicide uh, mm -hmm. from a biblical perspective. And um, our ministry did a uh, multi-year study on pastors in North Carolina, about 2,000 pastors. And uh, it's a big study. Uh, we're you know, just kind of finishing with the statistics part of it. Um, bottom line, you keep a Sabbath, you're healthier your mental health is better. And we we just see a grow uh, society that's more and more anxious, more and more depressed, uh, more and more overdoses, that sort of thing. And I think we're paying for, for turning our backs on the Lord. Well, and I think that what I have noticed as I have, you know, as our families begin implementing Sabbath is 
And actually, one of our pastors said this at one point, and I didn't quite understand it at the time, but he was saying, you know, when I first started implementing it, it was really hard for me because I felt like I was missing out on some stuff. But now I actually find myself almost feeling sorry for other people because I see the raggedness. I see the exhaustion. I see the lack of rest. And I just think, oh, if you would just take that one day to fully rest, the way that you get recharged really does help you the other six days of the week. Yes. And something I found, and in it takes a while to really develop a, a spiritual dislike like the Sabbath. It's it's not something that you're you're gonna do two or three times and have it down cold. Um it's really after a year you're gonna mm. begin to really notice a difference. And when you get to a point like I am ten or fifteen years um down the road, it's just integral to your life. But at the end of a Sabbath, if you're doing it right, you're gonna have a sadness that comes over you. Mm. <laughs> it's, and and that is that you're, you're, you know, you're leaving the Sabbath behind. Um, but the beauty of that is you only got to hang in there for six more days. That's right. That's <laughs> and, right. And it's back. So that saying the Sabbath is coming is um, very true to those who practice it. As we start to close out the show, I like to ask my guests a couple of questions. And so the first one being outside of salvation, when is a time in your life where you feel like you really had to cling to the grace of God? Now, I know that's an everyday occurrence, but we have seasons where it really is all we can do to just cling to God's grace. I think the most challenging uh times or situations for me have been where I have to deal with a Christian who doesn't act like a Christian. Mm. And it's given me an insight into the Ten Commandments. We say, thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. And we just think about swearing, which the commandment means that, but I think that's only the tip of the iceberg. I think when we claim the name of the Lord, um, as Christian, and then we act the opposite. And I'm guilty of this too, by the way. But when when we have to, you know, uh, do business with those folks, that's a that's a trying time. And then I just have to lean into the Lord and say, Lord, how do you deal with any of us bozos? Mm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you died for this. I mean. <laughs> You know, so those are the times, uh, you know, when I lean in, somehow God will always send some lovely kind of I love you kind of wink or whatever. And yes. uh, if you know what I mean, oh. when God winks. Yeah, well, I mean, and also how quickly we can be reminded that, well, at least me, that don't forget, we're all in need of God's grace for different reasons. And some of those are very visible and some of those are invisible, which for me, a lot of times can be, you know, the pride of my own heart mm -hmm. that everybody mm -hmm. else doesn't always see. So I totally understand what you're saying. Um, the last question is, if you could pass on any wisdom to your great grandchildren, what would you like for them to know? <laughs> that is so easy. Um, stay close to the Bible. Amen. The closer I stay to scripture, that doesn't mean I have to read it all, but I'm always chewing on it. I find that in every instance, 
it has wisdom for me. And um, the more I study it, the more I realize it's just a profoundly subtle thing that didn't come from this planet. Uh-huh. <laughs> it came from off this planet. And so I think if you if you stay close and then further adjustment to that, if you will, is that the Bible's a big book and it's just like a, a tool in a in a wood shop. I'll use the analogy. It can come out of alignment or square if you've ever used table saws mm-hmm. or big miter box or whatever. And then you have to loosen all the stops up yep. and and put your saw back into alignment. And, and the chapter for that is 1 Corinthians 13. Mm. That if I've lost track, if I think it, it is all about my sacrifice or, you know, the fact that I'd give my body to be burned or something, um, the saw is out of alignment. It's about love. And, and that love comes from God. That's right. Well, thank you so much for spending time with me today. I am really grateful. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Did you enjoy today's episode? Perhaps you have a takeaway or a question? If so, please hop over to Instagram or Facebook and leave a comment at Podcast underscore Amber. It is a joy to interact with my listeners, but hard to do unless we connect on social media. I look forward to chatting with you. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.